The Vision app is the best place to find a growing range of Aussie-made on-demand videos to help you look to God daily. Be challenged by a series of apologetic interviews produced by Creation Ministries International and inspired by Helping Hands, which showcases people and organisations who make the world a better place. There are new videos being added every week in the free Vision Christian Media app. Just tap the Watch tab to see the growing selection. If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. Vision.org.au slash app. Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Imagine for a moment a young man who has a word from God that he should serve in mission and so decides to go to one of the toughest places to serve on the face of the earth. He targets West Africa to go and do some Bible translation work as a servant of God and then gets to his destination and realizes that he's going to live in a mud hut He's going to take time to learn the language so that he can translate the Bible. Not only learn the language, but also have an appreciation of the culture, eating different food and hunting with those people in that West African tribal setting. Uh, Let's get some more insights today. What a wonderful pleasure to welcome back to 2020, missionary Ross Jones, whose new book is called Aspires to Lofty Heights. Ross, a special welcome back to 2020. Uh, Thank you, Neil. Uh, Ross, take us back to uh, early days on the mission field, living in a mud hut. Was that a culture shock for you, having to do the things that you did when you arrived in the Benin Republic in West Africa? Uh, Not really. I was um, very adventurous in spirit. I think I was willing to say to God, take me to the most difficult place, but just uh, be with me and and, and give me the ministry that you want to give to me. So when I first arrived in Benin Republic, I was a bit uh, upset really by the missionaries in those days. This is is 1969 when I arrived out there. I found that a lot of the mission stations, sometimes were a couple of kilometres from the town, so they're isolating themselves in the bush. And I thought, uh, I really want to be with the people. I want to be as close to them as I can. I, I want to be in a village where I can just be one of them. Um, so after I'd been there for a couple of months, I was teaching literacy in another village. There was another missionary there at the time. And uh, the people in the village, they said, what's the use of having two missionaries in the one place? You come and live in our village and we'll build a house for you. So I got permission from the mission, which is SIM, that I was working with out there. Uh, and the people built me a house, and that's the, that's the house that I lived in. And I was just thrilled to be um, in the village. And as I learned their language and was able to talk to them in their own language, I was really accepted as one of the local community. So it wasn't a four-bedroom brick-and-tile home. It was a mud hut. And uh, this idea of living with the people, is there a mistake or has something gone wrong in modern missions 
if we think that we ought to go to the mission field and live in what looks like five-star luxury, while the people that we're trying to reach, the people we're trying to minister to, are living in grass huts or mud huts, is that a mistake of modern missions? Well, I'm 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 not sure what uh, other missionaries do. I think, uh, from what I've experienced myself in West Africa, missionaries are living much closer to the people now than what they used to. I mean, it it used to be looked down upon to be going native, living like the people, dressing like them, eating their food, and and that sort of thing. But these days, I think uh, people. Um, missionaries understand that if um, they really want to get close to the people, they need to, you know, befriend those people and just treat them as equals. And Ross, on the mission field, after those early years, you and your wife, you raised four children on the mission field in those similar sorts of conditions. Yes, it was no problem. Our kids loved playing with the African kids. Those African children, you know, they've got no toys that their parents can buy for them. Um, the parents don't have the money and the toys aren't available. So they might get an, an old um, tin from a, an aerosol insect spray or something like that, and they'll make a, a car out of it. <laughs> they'll make the wheels, they'll make the body. And, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's wonderful the way that they amuse themselves. And uh, my boys, they... They had African friends and they just used to play with them all day and none of them have felt that they missed out on on life by uh, living these years uh, on the mission field. One of your goals was to develop the Boko Church in the Benin Republic and uh, you planted churches, uh, you translated the entire Bible into the Benin language and then you went across the border into Nigeria where there were five other similar sorts of people groups where you could adjust your own thoughts and understanding to their culture and their language and you made a start on the translation of the Bible for those language groups as well. This is something I just want to ask you about here because it wasn't just the Bible you were working on. Hand in hand with that you were working on writing booklets and dictionaries so that the people could understand the Bible. Take us into some of that sort of work that you were doing. Ah, uh, Well, I, I love working on dictionaries. Um, I regard myself as a lexicographer now because I've published uh, seven dictionaries. One of them's a 10,000-word Boko-French-English dictionary. They're pretty hard to... Compile. You've got to get all the tones right on the words. There's examples for some of the words uh, showing how they're used. If you're teaching people to read and write their own language, you've got to give them something to read. And uh, they really need something to read more than the Bible. So I think over the years I've translated or written about 40 different booklets in Boko. Um, maybe half of them are religious booklets. But we have a book on animals. Um, we have a book on the history of the area. Uh, there's a counting booklet so that they can learn how to count. Yeah, it's very interesting uh, trying to develop a church. You know, there's problems like polygamy. And the problem with polygamy is that often the best leaders in your church come in with several wives. 
Um, but we had to follow the scriptures and say, well, you can't be a leader in the church with more than one wife. So there's lots of uh, problems like that that we have to sort out. We have to um, get a leadership in the church developed. We started a Bible school. Uh, Bible school's been developed now. It's a couple of hectares and um, lots of buildings on the property. We have radio programs every week in Boko. The Boko churches, they have Sunday schools, they have youth groups, they have women's groups. Each of those groups has a camp each year. Yeah, there are wonderful things. I mean, the churches are, are, I mean, if you go out there, you find they've got no money. Everything's very simple. But Christianity really means something to them. Ross, when you are the Christian missionary and there are ethical issues that arise because you have an understanding of what the Bible teaches and that comes into conflict with those things that have been part of the culture of that community, how do you deal with those? Do you feel like you're trampling on culture or are you actually bringing a message that brings an element of liberty and freedom from some of the things that that culture restricts people too. What are your thoughts around the challenge of, of one set of values versus another? Yes, well, I remember this woman coming to me one day and complaining that um, I'd come into their village and that I was um, making them follow a different set of values to what they um, had been brought up with. Her problem was uh, she was the girlfriend of a man who became a Christian he decided because he'd become a Christian, he could no longer uh, have this girlfriend. So he told her that that's, uh, that's the reason that he had to give her up. And um, she wasn't very happy with me because of that. Another thing we've had in, we have in the area in West Africa is female circumcision. Uh, it's a really very bad uh, practice. And uh, it's, it's only the old women that want to keep it going. They they have these beliefs that uh, like the girls will not be able to have their babies safely if they don't have this um, clitorectomy done. And uh, it's just done like in the village tip with a razor blade. Uh, it's a very, very cruel procedure. Well, we took a stand against it because we thought we had to do something. And as a result of that... Um, one year, we lost half the members of, of one church because uh, the pastor took a stand against it and people were saying, well, if Christians aren't going to circumcise their daughters, uh, we're not going to give them husbands. And then a lot of the youth in the church said, well, we're not going to get wives. Um, so they left the church. But um, in the long run, they came back. Because ultimately, when people are confronted with a different set of values that come from a presentation of the gospel and of those Christian teachings, when the dust settles, when people are weighing up what it is that makes Christianity worth following, is that they'll set aside those things that they've understood culturally and they'll choose those things because God has revealed himself in that way. And and usually, uh, what I can hear you saying is that when the dust settles, people make a choice and so many realize that the choice in following Christ is so much better than following the religion of their animistic past. Yes, the elders, the elders that we, I mean, we had to elect elders in each church 
and sometimes it's uh, rather difficult at the beginning because there's um, not much to choose from. But um, over the over the decades, um, we have very good leaders in the churches now, and they're very they're very strict really with their people, especially if they're getting involved in the old religion or sexual problems. Yeah, they 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 really make the people toe the line, and it's in in the church itself. Uh, Women on one side sit on one side and, and men on the other side. And if any children in the church uh, are not behaving themselves, a man will come down the aisle with a stick. <laughs> so, yep. But they're well organized and um, things are done in order. Well, Ross, you have a fascinating story of translating the entire Bible in the Benin Republic. Uh, You've worked on five more translations across the border in Nigeria. Those churches that you planted have grown to 40 churches strong and some of those with as many as 300 members. And you've established a Bible college. Uh, Just an amazing story you have that you tell in your new book, which is an autobiography. It's called Aspires to Lofty Heights. And as you can hear, Ross Jones, a humble man who recognises that Jesus transformed him and turned him into a faithful servant and serving 50 years in West Africa. Now, to get a hold of Aspires to Lofty Heights, you can simply Google Aspires to Lofty Heights, Ross Jones on Amazon, or you can get it through Barnes & Noble. Uh, Ross has written a number of other books too, but Ross, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts once again around Mission today on 2020. It's been a pleasure, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 